by day, everyone, and welcome to Radio Okpop Talk. I'm your host, Rachna. This is the podcast that crisscrosses the globe, talking to the pioneers in the world of folk art, to the changemakers in travel and tourism, and to the innovators in remote communities. Broadcast from our weaving studio on the banks of the Mekong in beautiful Luang Prabang, we travel the world to meet artisans and creatives from Tashkent on the Silk Road to the Berber villages in Morocco's Middle Atlas, from the Quechuan Highlands in Peru to the colorful silk weaving villages in the misty mountains of Laos. We bring you a series of conversations that delve into the minds of these custodians of culture. All aboard, let's go. Sabaidi everyone, welcome back. Our topic today delves into the legal world of intellectual property rights. What exactly is intellectual property? What is cultural intellectual property? And how does this pertain to artisans, fashion designers, and consumers? It's a big topic and not necessarily the easiest to understand, but bear with us and we'll explore the topic together. But first some background. The concept of intellectual property as a legal instrument first came about in the late 17th century. With the advent of the printing press, authors wished to protect their intellectual property, their ideas, concepts, and creative work from being used without consent and without compensation. As a result, the British Parliament enacted the Statute of Anne in 1709. This was the first legal statute protecting authorship and it paved the way for intellectual property rights in legal, commercial, and academic practice. Since then, intellectual property rights have expanded to include all creations of the mind, including art, industrial design, inventions, and trademarks. But what about the ideas, concepts, and designs, creations of the minds by cultures and civilizations long before 1709? Well, these were regarded as public domain, free to be used by anyone at any time. Today we speak with Monica Moisen, an attorney and the founder of the Cultural Intellectual Property Rights Initiative, abbreviated as CIPRI. Through her work in fashion, Monica realized that clothing designers and brands often look to traditional cultural designs and patterns for inspiration. She also noticed that this intersection between fashion and indigenous cultural knowledge was more of a slippery slope. From the pinnacle of inspiration, it was a quick and uneven descent into the realm of outright copying and exploitation. Monica started CIPRI as a platform to encourage the recognition of rights for the custodians of traditional garments, traditional designs, and traditional manufacturing techniques. CIPRI also acts as a mediator bringing fashion and indigenous groups together to create collaborative and equitable working relationships. This episode is the first in a three-part series. We will begin with Monica, who gives us an overview on her work and the mission of the Cultural Intellectual Property Rights Initiative. The next two episodes will focus on the experiences of the Oma ethnic group in Laos and block print artisans in Bagru, India. Our intention in presenting this three-part series is to demonstrate how inspiration and copying can quickly devolve into exploitation and to discuss the best practices and models for creating healthy collaborations in the fashion space. 
So let's get started and meet Monica in Berlin. Hi, Monica. Good morning. How are you? Welcome good to Radio Park. Good morning, Rajna. Uh, so good to talk to you today. Uh, I'm good. It's a good day here in Berlin, the 1st of December, uh, new month coming, um, new beginnings. It's good. Yeah. And you said it snowed. That's crazy. There was a little bit of snow last night. Um, yeah. It didn't stay. It didn't stick. But uh, definitely winter is here and the cold uh, here in Berlin is uh, quite mortifying at times. Um, oh, no. But it's, it's great yeah. to, you know, to be warm indoor and uh, to be able to work from home. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing in disguise after all. So let's get started, Monica. Um, you're a fashion and cultural intellectual property rights lawyer, and that's not something you hear very often. So can you tell me a little bit about what that means and your journey getting here? Of course. Um, indeed, it's not a very conventional uh, professional description, um, but in, in very short uh, and to keep it very simple, I basically work um, as a lawyer, as a legal advisor uh, for the fashion and textile industry. To exemplify very simple, it would be trademarks, industrial designs, um, copyrights, trade secrets, geographical indications and um, and then I also work um, with indigenous and local communities who are um, custodians and, and transmitters of traditional knowledge. So uh, when we talk especially about handicrafts, um, different types of uh, uh, techniques, uh, manufacturing techniques that are transmitted from generations to generations in certain communities worldwide, um, that's where I also come, um, come to play. And I, I work with these communities um, as a legal advisor as well. So, you know, one thing that's really interesting to me is that you're originally from Romania. And Correct. how did you find your way from Romania to working in Berlin in this fashion space? See, uh, this path, uh, mm -hmm. if I may say, crafted for myself, um, it is not a conventional path. I was inspired by Romania, inspired in my work by Romania, and I wanted to find a way to, to create a protection mechanism for the Romanian blouse as a cultural symbol of my people. The timing was probably not great uh, when I was in mm -hmm. Romania at that time. Um, so I had to start traveling uh, to find uh, the people who needed my, my service and my expertise and my ideas. Um, not that the Romanian people didn't need them, but they had more pressing matters. So I started my journey here in Berlin. It was the, uh, somehow a new, a totally new beginning, um, leaving behind career that uh, I was just beginning in Bucharest um, as a fully qualified lawyer working in a corporate law firm uh, and trying to find uh, all the ingredients needed to be able to pull together um, what became my landmark project, the Cultural Intellectual Property Rights Initiative. But before we 
talk about cultural intellectual property rights initiative i wanted to ask you what you know what tension did you see occurring in your work between designers and indigenous communities that made you realize that beyond romania this was a global issue that needed to be addressed so this is an excellent question um uh for me there was a paradox um i was not so well informed at that time about concepts like cultural appropriation um colonialization and all these kind of very um deep subjects for me at that time it was the simple feeling of inequality inequity and and lack of justice when i mm-hmm. saw that um the existing legal system uh, at an international level protects the creations of the mind that are considered new and original Mm-hmm. and excludes from the conventional protection everything that has been there before you know um mm-hmm. and that is the public domain concept everything that we are so in contact with both you at okpoptok and um myself and the network that i'm engaged in um focusing on cultural intellectual property rights so all the traditional garments traditional designs traditional manufacturing techniques were labeled as expressions of folklore that are not new and original and they pertain to the public domain the negative aspect of this labeling being that they can be exploited freely by anyone no matter how um they want without any limitation and without any obligation towards the source community um but then i came to learn about the ecosystem in india um in south america i got to see that so many people who are custodians of this amazing knowledge and this such valuable techniques they live in um sometimes under the poverty line mm-hmm. i realized it's a extremely unequal and paradoxical situation because they are as creative as amazing as any other ip holder so why mm-hmm. can i write a text and get a copyright and be able to get remunerated for the knowledge that i write down or for a trademark that i come up with um and someone who is keeping that knowledge alive for centuries doesn't get any benefit uh officially Uh, for it. Next you'll hear Monica say the fashion system is based on a textile ecosystem. What does this mean? Fashion is generally viewed as a modern and western construct, as if the clothes we wear were just invented. Of course, the industrial manufacturing of clothes, the streamlined factory process that we all know is new. But what Monica is trying to point out is that fashion comes from cloth, from the cultivation of fibers and dyes, from spinning and weaving, from cutting and sewing. Traditional methods that have existed long before the term fashion was applied to the process. In this regard, it can be argued that fashion, that is the ceremonial, decorative and everyday wearing of garments, has existed for as long as humans started covering themselves with fibers. 
Monica also underlines that the modern fashion industry is rooted in colonial constructs. Colonialism inaugurated a production system that is inherently inequitable and exaggerates disparities. This type of production system has created an imbalance between craftspeople and laborers and owners of factories and brands for the past 100 to 150 years. And it sits somewhere between being borderline and outright exploitation. In addition to the economic consequences, there are also emotional and cultural consequences associated with cultural appropriation, particularly when indigenous designs, motifs, and processes are used without regard to their cultural context. Let's hear Monica explain this further. Fashion as a system is built on the textile ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Craft, I always say, uh, the, the oldest, the, 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 the longest living designers are the craftspeople. Um, mm-hmm. And that is true. But um, we cannot forget again and that the fashion system per se is a uh, colonial construction and it has been surviving in the past hundred years on a definition that uh, nobody questioned but a definition that said that basically fashion only comes or can, can be created in the West and thus excluding um, the systems of dress of the other cultures from the fashion system. So you had years and years of different um, designers in different parts of the world trying to create fashion following kind of the Western guidelines Um, Whilst, in fact, I believe and and many today believe that the systems of dress traditional to the specific region, they have its fashion, fashion, maybe we shouldn't be using the word fashion anymore, but it has this beauty and this is what we're talking about, clothes that are uh, covering, protecting or loving our body, Uh, you know, it's this relationship with garments that should be the main focus and not what is trendy and what comes as a trend. But this trend system also made it very apparent at some point that the systems of dress of other culture are trendy. So you saw a lot of this ethno fashion, ethnic fashion, Uh, you know, when identities were literally exploited by the fashion industry um, Mm -hmm. to make money and uh, all these phenomena of, you know, exoticizing a certain culture. I think for many representatives of these uh, culture, this wasn't necessarily a form of, you know, appreciation, especially mm-hmm. when due to lack of information and to a very different education system, many designers have um, harmed um, representatives of certain cultures, either by uh, using different traditional cultural expressions. This is what we call um, the traditional garments and manufacturing techniques. They are labeled as traditional cultural expressions. Mm -hmm. So many of these expressions, these symbols, you know, you could see the headdress in the Navajo uh, culture, or we have in Laos so many headpieces. So imagine Mm -hmm. those pieces being used in a context that is um, disrespectful for the purpose uh, of of that garment for the community. Um, 
And that was that was just uh, you know the emotional and uh, um, somehow the cultural identity damage. And then you also had the financial damage because these communities were not involved in creating the fashion garments that were replicating mm -hmm. their culture. Um, they didn't get any benefits out of it. So um, the proceeds would only go to the fashion companies. And what was worst um, and what I found the worst is when they're not even made in the original techniques. Um, many times they are uh, digitally printed, for example, instead of embroidered. And if you look at the longer Con, uh, long-term consequences and the deeper implications. This means that the embroidery technique might be uh, lost, uh, soon to be replaced yeah. by digital printing. But uh, in many of these communities who are not uh, connected uh, to the internet all the time and they are not doing online business, this is a source of both uh, livelihood and of um, creative expression of an identity. So there was also quite deep uh, economic, a negative economic impact ramifications. Um, and for that, we needed a tool um, as an industry, um, we needed a tool that would somehow restore this imbalance that, uh, that was created in the past 100 to 150 years. Now with the digitization, digitalization of everything, it has become so much more apparent that the fashion industry mm -hmm. is getting a lot of inspiration and that this inspiration is borderline exploitation. Monica launched Cipri on the 26th of April in 2018. The date is significant because it was the World Intellectual Property Day. The day is celebrated by the World Intellectual Property Organization, a global consortium that works on IP issues. There is a working group dedicated to protecting traditional knowledge and traditional cultural expressions, but finding common ground among all the member nations is difficult. Following a TEDx talk that Monica delivered in 2017, she realized we needed a separate platform to raise awareness and to facilitate dialogue, engagement, and equitable partnerships between artisans and designers. In the next segment, Monica explains CIPRI's mission and best practices or tools to guide holistic, respectful collaborations. Our mission is to, to be um, a mediator between the fashion industry and um, the artisans and the traditional creative communities. At the beginning of my career, I, I really wanted to see a law uh, that would protect uh, these types of creations, uh, the traditional creations. Um, I have learned in this process uh, that it is an exercise of mediation and that the best way is to find uh, common ground together. Uh, the fashion industry is not our enemy. The fashion industry has so much um, power and so much uh, money as well is a very strong, like economically strong industry. We just need to learn, we just need to um, find ways to be understanding towards each other um, and to also, in a way, polish, you know, the rough edges so that um, we create a harmonious relationship between fashion and craft. Uh, where the interests of the craft stakeholders, of the artisans, 
are also center piece and not only the interests but their voices as well um yes. so and when you create something that is inspired from a culture i think it is imperative that the representatives of that culture have a voice and are um sharing a seat at the same table because mm-hmm. otherwise um it is so easy to say oh it was an inspiration and for us it was an, an appreciative act uh but it's only appreciated if it is consented from my perspective so this element of consent of us sitting together talking about it and uh finding a way that reflects both of us and is beneficial for the source community uh as well um i think that's extremely important in moving forward um with this intersection between fashion and craft what you did in terms of like facilitating this mediation if you will is to create a system of best practices and they're um exemplified in the 3 Cs so can you explain those best practices and the 3 Cs and how that helps you um negotiate between the two parties and and also like give both parties a uh, a platform to act properly on you know absolutely The three C's stand for consent, credit or source acknowledgement and compensation. And thirdly, the compensation element, it's just a common sense practice if we look just at copyright, right? So when you want to use something that is copyrighted, you need to ask the author, the copyright holder for permission and you you should be paying for using something that doesn't belong to you. Um and um this compensation can be made in different ways so by working with the community uh and integrating them in the production process that's obviously a part of the benefits then goes to the community so it's um it's really healthy it's a healthy type of collaboration in terms of um the stakeholders in the craft space be it designers or indigenous artisans how can they use these tools uh we created um this year an awareness campaign uh explaining these uh maybe difficult concepts into um uh language that is more easy to understand at a larger mm-hmm. scale Uh, the campaign we put up is called the three Cs get weaving um yeah. and we are translating um uh, the campaign the entire campaign into different languages so we have we just fin- finished with the spanish iteration so this was a great um got a great um feedback in latin america and we are now starting with the hindi translation and we hope to translate uh this deck of information there are very nicely um uh, squares uh that kind of match together with different colors as well and the text is not so long so that it can be even you know used as a as a poster in any office or um it as a deck card for for any um um artisan association or kind of cooperative so uh, the idea is for it to be easily distributed uh and 
obviously it's it's uh, a free resource that we put across uh, so that more people get access to this information and then we have um, different projects who come to work with us to actually apply the three C's and uh, integrate them in a real in a real life project and um, we actually have uh, um, one landmark project going on in Laos at the moment with the traditional arts and ethnology center of Laos. We, we created a, a project that uh, advocates for securing the cultural intellectual property rights of the OMA uh, of Laos. So um, the project is fully um, designed on the three C's um, and this is how the artisans they they call for the OMA community um, is um, embracing the three C's and then calling for anyone who wants to collaborate um, with them to 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 approach and to enter this three C's framework um, and to develop mm -hmm. together. And that's an amazing thing because this is an, an open invitation where the community can say, we have these uh, principles and this is the framework in which we would like to work and let's do it. We're so open and we yeah. really want to do it. And that's extremely important because uh, on the other hand, the fashion industry, whenever we had discussions, the question that they asked me is, but who, who do we go to? How do we approach these communities? Who do we ask for consent? Um, it's, it's a very um, problematic situation. But then when you have a community that says, we welcome you, and this is the framework, you already have the beginning of this dialogue, the first step is there, the first step to be at the same table and, and uh, mm -hmm. negotiate. What milestones have you achieved since you began Sapri? I think every day um, is a milestone for us. Um, the fact that we have a new conversation, the fact that we have another membership application, the fact that we can create one more project together with our members. Um, I guess the biggest milestone, the most recent milestone was um, us winning the European Union Social Innovation Prize this year. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, one of the three prizes that are awarded for um, a socially innovative idea that can change um, behaviors uh, in the fashion industry. Uh, and we created a project uh, called Why We Craft. Um, it's a, it's a, an experience. It's a real life immersive experience between artisans and designers where they co-create together in the framework of the three C's, but we also allow the consumers at large, the public at large to, to see through this process uh, so that they can also understand what handcrafting really involves and what we want is to find, to enable uh, and to stimulate collaborations between artisans and designers, uh, believing that once they, they know each other and they meet in person and they work together, they, um, there would be such a valuable knowledge transfer on both sides, so for both parties. And like you said, we focus on this uh, equal footing uh, and having this, this equality um, Everyone is asking, how can you ensure equality? Well, equality is such a 
it's a it's a philosophical term. Probably you can never really uh, ensure equality in, in that sense. But what you can do is to restore some kind of balance um, and to make sure um, you don't get too far from each other. Because fashion and craft are not too different shouldn't be two different words. They should be part of the same. And this brings us to the end of another episode. As I mentioned, this episode is the first in a three-part series. Within the next month, we'll bring you the experiences of the Oma ethnic group in Laos and the traditional block print artisans of Northwestern India. In these next episodes, we'll hear real-life experiences of artisan groups in the fashion space. We'll hear how inspiration and copying can quickly turn into exploitation and what can be done about it. And we'll hear how the three C's developed by CIPRI can help artisans and fashion designers navigate and respect cultural intellectual property rights to their mutual benefit. In the meantime, I encourage you to explore Cipri's website and Instagram. Both links are provided in the description of this episode. And of course, if you have any questions or feedback for me, please send me an email. Thank you again for listening in. Kapchai lai lai.